Now, if you've got a Bible, uh, you probably don't need to turn to it because I'm going to read uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17 in the message uh, version. I know it's not a translation of the Bible, it's an interpretation of the Bible, but it's a long passage. It's a passage that I feel God has really stirred me on. It's such a familiar passage. It's David and Goliath. It's very familiar ground, very familiar territory. The children will know this story very well. There isn't a children's Bible that doesn't have David and Goliath pictured in it. It's one of those ones that you remember as you grew up, if you grew up in church or Sunday school, you, or even if you haven't, you We talk about the kind of David and Goliath type battles, maybe somebody battling against a big company or somebody battling against a big institution. We talk about that in our everyday life. But this is the biblical story. This is the truth. And God spoke to us at the beginning of the year through a friend of ours called Dave Fellingham. Some of you will know Dave Fellingham. He's a a very good friend of this church, a very good friend of us for many years based in Horsham in East Sussex. And he is a real prophet of God, real uh, man of God. And he prayed with us at the beginning of the year. And he kind of chided me, kind of told me off. And he said, Jeremy, he said, you play it safe too much. He said, you're you're too safe. You're far too safe. God wants to give you. And then he used a phrase which has lived with me for the last six months. God wants to give you apostolic recklessness. (laughs) He wants to give you some reckless faith. He wants to give you some, he wants to stir something in you where you say, no, it shouldn't be like that. We're not going to believe that. We're going to press through. And I've just been looking at various characters in my own devotions uh, in the Bible of people who said no, people who stood up to things, people like Gideon, who said, where are the wondrous works of our father? Where are, where are they? If God's with me, if God's with us, where are these things? That's what Gideon said. Things like, uh, Jonathan and his armor bearer. You remember that story? Well, if God is with us, maybe he'll lead us into victory. Come on, let's go. Let's, perhaps God's with us. And the sense of reckless faith. Even, and this is a weird one, but even the people who've been harmed by Jezebel, the eunuchs, if you remember the story of that, again, this struck me again this year, when Jehu says, who, who's with us? Who's with the Lord? Who's with me? And these people who've been harmed by Jezebel, they have this like reckless faith that kind of pushes her off the parapet, pushes her off the edge. And the one that stuck with me most is David and Goliath. There's such a reckless faith about David. And I kind of feel we, as the family of God, have got a little safe in some of our areas of pressing into God. And I feel God wants to stir some breakthroughs with us this morning. And I'll tell you what some of the areas are a bit later, but I want you to be asking God, what's my Goliath? What's the thing that intimidates me? What's the thing that seems to come against me? And I feel very small in front of, I feel intimidated, I feel fearful of, but actually God is saying to me, I want you to arise, O little David. I want you to arise and I want you to break through. So let's read the story. I'm going to read this from the message paraphrase. And even then I've cut bits out because it's just such a long story. Uh, I'll, I'll read it to you. And kids, this is a great story. I warn you, it's a bit gruesome. Heads may roll. The Philistines, these are the baddies. Boo, right? The Philistines drew up their troops for battle. 
The Philistines were on one hill and the Israelites, that's the good guys, the Israelites were on the opposing hill with a valley between them. I'm sure you can't imagine anything to do with hills and valleys living in Sheffield. Joke. A giant nearly 10 feet tall. I mean, who's the tallest guy here? Who's the tallest guy here? Who? Mike. Sam. Sam. How tall are you, Sam? Six foot seven. (laughs) Stand up. Now stand on your chair. That's probably more like it. This kind of height, all right? He says, a giant nearly 10 feet tall stepped out from the Philistine line into the open. Goliath from Gath. Now remember where he's from, that's important. He had a bronze helmet on his head and was dressed in scaly armour. 126 pounds of it. He wore bronze shin guards and carried a bronze sword. His spear was like a fence rail. The spear alone weighed over 15 pounds. Goliath stood there and called out to the Israelite troops, Why bother using your whole army? Am I not Philistine enough for you? Pick your best fighter and pick him against me. If he gets the upper hand and kills me, then the Philistines will become your slaves. But if I get the upper hand and kill him, you'll all become our slaves and serve us. I challenge the troops of Israel this day. Give me a man and let it fight. Let us fight it out together. When Saul, now Saul's the king, when Saul and his troops heard the Philistines' challenge, they were terrified and lost all hope. Enter David. It's a great line, isn't it? Enter David. Jesse, that's David's dad, told David his son, take these supplies, because he's just a little boy, right? He's just Sam. He's just kind of like you, really. Just a little boy, David. He's only a little lad, and he's not old enough to be in the army, but his dad asked him to take some cheese sandwiches, really, some, if you read the Bible. Take some supplies down to the front line. Take and run these down to your brothers in the camp. David was up at the crack of dawn and arrived at the camp just as the army was moving into battle formation. Esther just spoke about sovereignty and sovereign moments. It's just one of those sovereign moments. David arrives just at the right time. When Goliath of Gath, remember Gath, that's important. Goliath of Gath stepped out of the front lines of the Philistines and gave his usual challenge. David heard him. The Israelites, to a man, fell back at that moment when they saw the giant totally frightened. David asks, who does he think he is? This uncircumcised Philistine taunting the armies of the living God? The things David was saying were picked up and reported to Saul. So Saul sent for him. Master, said David to the king, don't give up hope. I'm ready to go and fight this Philistine for you. Saul answered David, you can't go and fight this Philistine. You're too young and inexperienced. He's been in this fighting business since before you were born. But David said, I've been a shepherd tending sheep for my father all my life. Whenever a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I'd go after it and knock it down and rescue the lamb. 
If it turned on me, I'd grab it by the throat, wring its neck and kill it. Lion or bear, it made no difference, I killed it. And I'll do the same to this Philistine pig who's taunting the armies of the living God. Who is deli- the same God who's delivered me from the teeth of the lion and the claws of the bear will deliver me from this Philistine. Saul says, go and may God help you. <laughs> then Saul tried to outfit David as a soldier with his armour. He put a bronze helmet on his head and, uh, and a belted his sword around him over the armour. But David tried to walk. He could hardly budge. David told Saul, I can't even move with all this stuff on me. I'm not used to this. And he took it all off. Then David took his shepherd's staff, selected five smooth stones from the river and put them in the pocket of his shepherd's pack. And with his sling in his hand, he approached Goliath. As the Philistine paced back and forth, his shield-bearer in front of him, he suddenly noticed David. He took one look at him and sneered at him, a mere youngster. The Philistine ridiculed David. Am I a dog that you come after me with a stick? And he cursed him by his gods and said, come on. And then the Philistine said, I'll make roadkill of you for the buzzards. You can tell this is American uh, version. Uh, I'll make roadkill of you for the buzzards. I'll turn you into a tasty morsel for the mice. David answered, you come at me with a sword and a spear and a battle axe, but I come at you in the name of the living God the God of Israel's troops whom you curse and mock. This very day, God is handing you over to me and I'm about to kill you and cut off your head and serve up your body and the bodies of your Philistine buddies to the the crows and the coyotes. The whole earth will know that there's an extraordinary God in Israel. And everyone gathered here will learn that God doesn't save by means of a sword or a spear because the battle belongs to the Lord and he's going to hand you over to us on a platter. That roused the Philistine. (laughs) And he started towards David. David took off from the front line, running to the Philistine. David reached into his pocket for a stone and he slung it and it hit the Philistine hard in the forehead, embedding the stone right in. And the Philistine crashed face down in the dirt. Story's not over. David ran up to the Philistine and stood over him. He pulled the giant sword from its sheath and finished the job by cutting off his head. When the Philistines saw that their great champion was dead, they scattered, running for their life. And then the men of Israel and Judah were up on their feet, shouting. They chased the Philistines all the way to Gath. That's important, remember Gath. Chasing the Philistines, the Israelites came back and looted their camp. What a great story. It's true. It actually happened. And the same God who was with David is with us. And the same Philistines, the same taunts, the same giants try to come against us. That's interesting. If you look at the context of this passage, the passage before, David has just been chosen, anointed by King 
so as king by Samuel. And it says in that last bit of that chapter 16, it said the spirit of the Lord rushed on David. It, the spirit of the Lord came on David. It says in one translation, but the word is ruacht, rushed, breathed. The spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. And it's going to be a walk in the park from now on, isn't it? Life's going to be easy when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Prison doors are going to be open. Things are going to happen. It's ever, life's going to be so easy. No, actually, when the Holy Spirit comes on us, actually, we're entering into a battle. That's what happened for Jesus. When the Holy Spirit came on him in power at his baptism, immediately he's in the desert being tempted by the enemy. When the Spirit of the Lord comes on Old Testament warriors, quite often it's just prior to a big battle. And that's exactly what's going to happen here. The Holy Spirit has come on David and filled him with power, but God's going to put that to the test. Have you been recently filled with the Holy Spirit? I hope you have. Are you looking forward to getting freshly filled with the Holy Spirit at something like our devoted camp? Great. God's going to fill you powerfully with his Spirit But also, that's to prepare us for a few battles that are ahead. So their champion comes out, and he taunts them. This 10-foot giant taunts them day by day by day. For about six weeks, it happened. And they were focusing on the wrong thing. They were looking at this 10-foot strong, high giant. Verse 11, it says this, and I'll quote all these from the NIV just to be correct. On hearing the Philistines' words, all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. I think I would be. I mean, we know the end of the story. They didn't. This is a 10-foot giant. Who's going to come up against this giant? And dear friends, we're faced with things that taunt us. We're faced. I felt there were three things as I was praying about this for us here in Sheffield. I felt there were three things. Now, there might be lots of things in your life, and I want you to apply this to your life personally, but I think there are some corporate things that God wants to speak to us here in Sheffield from this passage. Three things that I think are trying to intimidate and will try to intimidate us, but God wants us to have the breakthrough. I'll tell you what those three things are. Number one, issues of finance issues of money. We're worshipping in this tremendous building, which was a wonderful breakthrough of God. If you know the story of this building, God was good. But the danger is we settle back on the faith of those who've gone before us when actually God wants to propel us into our own battles. And I feel there are going to be battles for us as a church, battles for us as a community, battles for us individually in this whole area of finance, in this kind of austere world that we live in. Actually, I believe God wants to release millions of pounds for his glory and for his kingdom extension. God wants to release finance to us as a community. God, there's new projects for us to get involved with. There's maybe even new buildings for us. There may be even new breakthroughs for us. But I believe there's going to be some breakthroughs in finance for us, where we can easily feel intimidated by it and actually know that Goliath is going to come down. The second one is in the whole area of healing and breakthrough in the supernatural. And so often we revert to, well, we'll pray for the doctors to have wisdom, we'll pray for your operation, we'll pray for this to happen, we'll pray. And that's good, because God is in all of that. God, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. All the medical world is the Lord's. All the scientific breakthroughs are the Lord's. All of that comes from the Lord's hand. But 
our promise is you shall lay hands on the sick and they shall be healed. And God wants us to see more and more breakthroughs in healing. I'm not against medicine, I embrace medicine. We thank God for the wonders of breakthroughs that he's given us through that. We thank God for the medicines and the drugs that he allows us to take to make us well and happy and whole. But actually, God wants to do some healing breakthroughs amongst us. And I believe it's going to be an evangelistic breakthrough for us as a local church in this area of healing and setting people free from strongholds. The third thing is actually what Gavin did this morning. God is wanting us to have breakthroughs in sharing our stories, sharing our testimonies, and breakthroughs in evangelism. And I think sometimes we're just intimidated by the world. Oh, you're not allowed to say that these days. Oh, that was okay 20 years ago, but you can't say that at work. You can't say that now to your neighbours. You can't imply that there's one God, one way, one uh, mediator. You can't say that. Oh, no, this is your way and I've got my way. Oh, we live in this pluralistic society. We've got to tiptoe through truth. And, and What is truth anyway? There may not be any truth. It may just be fake truth. It may just be all made up. No, actually, we have a truth. And God wants us to be increasingly bold in our gospel proclamation. So they're the kind of things that I feel God is speaking to us about and out of this text. And it's interesting, it said this, I don't know if you picked it up in the message translation, it's not always so clear in the others. It says he wore Goliath, because their eyes were on Goliath. It says Goliath wore a scaly armour. Does that remind you of anything? Scales? It's supposed to. It's supposed to. The text is supposed to remind us of the serpent. It's supposed to remind us of one who tells lies, one who speaks lies right from the garden through to the end. He's a liar from the beginning and he speaks lies. He's supposed to be seen as the liar. His taunts are empty. They are false. They are not going to break us or kill us or or have victory over us. He's just a liar. He's like the serpent from Eden. He's a liar. And that's who we're supposed to see. But they don't see that. They look with their human eyes. In fact, Israel's had a history of doing that. Israel's had a history of just looking with their human eyes. Do you remember when they send the spies into the land? They've come out of Egypt. God is amazingly I'm incredible, just in a few moments, set them free from 400 years of oppression under Pharaoh. He's brought them through the Red Sea. He's brought them to a mountain of fire and smoke and spoke to them about his promises for them as a people. And then he says, now go and take the land. Go and take the land. And Moses sends in the spies. And if you remember... Twelve spies representing the twelve tribes of Israel go into the land to spy out the land. And they come back saying, it's a great land. It's flowing with milk and honey. Look, here are the grapes, here's the fruit, it's incredible. But we saw a few things when we were there. We saw some giants. Hey, like Goliath, this is what it says. We can't, this is Numbers 13, We can't attack these people. They're stronger than we are. Whoever said this was about you? All the people we saw there were of great size. They're just like Sam. There's a a lot of big guys there. And we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same 
to them. How on earth do you know what they were looking at anyway? Later we find out they're in absolute fear (laughs) of the people of God. But we seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. David didn't see himself like a grasshopper. David saw himself as a son of God. David, David saw himself as a lover of God. David saw himself as one whom God was with. Who do you see when you look out? Do you see an intimidating Goliath of finances or sickness or of gospel intimidation? Do you see that? Or do you simply see what David saw? You see, David looked at the right thing. He saw the same thing, but viewed the facts very differently. David didn't see Goliath as a threat. What does he say? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? In other words, what he's saying is, he's not even part of the covenant of God. God's not with this guy. God's with us. God's powerfully with us. He's not with this heathen. David saw a big God. He didn't see a little nation. He saw the people of the living God. He knew from personal experience. God had delivered this little shepherd boy from a lion and a bear. And God will deliver us from this pathetic guy who's standing in front of us. God's going to do it. Goliath was big, but David's God was so much bigger. How big is your God? How big is God? Do you look at these things that intimidate? Do they kind of cloud the sunshine out? Do they cloud the rays of God's kindness and goodness and love and power and mercy and majesty out? Are they bigger than God? Do they appear big and massive and intimidating and kind of taunt you and come over you? Or do you go, you're just pathetic compared to God? I mean, that was David's... That was David had such a big vision of God. The psalmist, and probably it's David, says this, Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us proclaim his name together. The word magnify, like a magnifying glass. What does a magnifying glass do? Makes things look bigger. Now, we, we don't make God bigger, but we make our perception of God get bigger. See, if I, if I put a magnifying glass to Dan's bald head, it would be an even bigger bald head. I don't actually make his head any bigger, but my perception of his big head could get bigger if I looked at it through this big magnifying glass. Whoa, that's a big head. (laughs) Beautiful, shiny, lovely head. Listen, when we apply the scriptures, when we look at truth, it reveals who God is and he becomes bigger in our eyes. And we've got to see God through a right lens. We've got to see him through truth. We've got to see him through scripture. God wants to take our lenses off, that are microscopic lenses that make him look small. And God wants to give us bigger lenses. He wants to give us a bigger vision, a bigger view of God. You see, Israel's problem was not a big Goliath. It was a small God. That was their problem. Stop telling God how big your problem is. Start telling your problem how big God is. Start saying, I'm going to have your head off. You're nothing in comparison to the God that I worship, the God of the covenant, the God of love, the God of faithfulness, the God of mercy, the God that's been good to me all my life, the God that saved me, the God that's redeemed me, the God that's cleansed me, the God that set me free from lions and bears and 
things in the past. That same God is with me now. And actually, we're going to have your head off in this whole thing. We need our eyes open. Do you remember uh, Elisha? There was a time when Elisha was praying. And this is what happens in 2 Kings chapter 6. He's praying and the ser- his sen- he sends his servant out. The servant went out and saw an army with horses and chariots surrounding the city. Oh my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Elisha says, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are much more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, Lord, open his eyes that he might see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw all the hills full of horses and chariots of fire. Listen, God wants to open our eyes. He wants to open our eyes to his bigness. He wants to open our eyes that the hills around Sheffield are full of fiery chariots, fiery angels, fiery messengers from God. God's power is all around us. God's glory is all around us. We just need our eyes opening to stop looking at the Goliaths and to start looking at God. David uses the right weapons, not Saul's weapons. He, he can't fight with Saul's weapons. Different. Sometimes we fight with the wrong weapons. We're fighting with worldly weapons, intellect, reason, Financial strategy, strength, cunning, compromise, negotiation, wheeling and dealing. These are fleshly things. And God wants us to take off Saul's armour. He doesn't want us to fight in the way that the world fights. He wants us to fight with spiritual weapons. We're spiritual people and we've been given spiritual weapons. The Bible says this. We've been given 2 Corinthians 6, weapons of righteousness. 2 Corinthians 10 says, the weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. Our weapons have divine power to bring down strongholds. They demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you. In the name of the Lord, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. Do you know the name of the Lord? Do you know what these names are? You haven't got to look far in scripture to find that God names himself, not for his benefit, but for our benefit. There are names that God declares about himself that we need to know. We need to know who this God is that we're, that, that who saved us. We need to know who this God is that loves us. We need to know who this God is. Let me tell you some of them. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord is our provider. See, that's one we come against when finances taunt us. I don't look at finances to provide. I look to the Lord to provide. Jehovah Rapha. The Lord is our healer. I'm not going to look just to medicine and just to the doctors to heal, although I'm grateful to God for his wisdom and grace in that. I'm looking to the, I'm look, my eyes bigger than that. I look to the Lord. I look to him. He's the healer. The Lord is our healer. Jehovah Nissi. The Lord is our banner. He goes out in front of us with victory banners. Jehovah, uh, 
uh, Raha, the Lord is our shepherd, or the Lord is my shepherd. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is with us and here amongst us. Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord is our righteousness. And there's so much more, there's so many more of the names of the Lord. And I think this is what David did. I think David was getting hold of the promises of God. And I think these stones that David picks up are like getting hold of God's promises, getting hold of who the Lord is. I come against you. He doesn't say, I come against you with a stone. He says, I'm going to come against you in the name of the Lord. And he picks up some stones. What are your promises? What is it God has said to us as a community? What is it God has said to you personally? Because David, I think he picks some promises up. I don't know what those promises are. It doesn't say in the Bible. I wonder if it's this promise. In Leviticus 24, verse 16, anyone who blasphemes against the name of the Lord must be put to death. The entire assembly must stone him. Right, we'll start with a stone then, shall we? Pick up a promise. I'm going to pick up the word. Maybe. It may be David even had a bigger vision. It may be David saw the scaly armour and it maybe it reminded David of a promise long ago to the first ancestor when God said to the serpent, yes, you will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. I wonder if that's what David was in his spirit. But whatever, something is in David's heart, in his spirit, and he says, I'm going to take your head off. I'm going to stone you and take your head off. Why? You've defied the armies of the living God. God is not with you. God is with me. And I've got some prophetic promises from God where I'm going to defeat you. Dear friends, we've got prophetic promises. Dear friends, God has spoken to us as a community. God has spoken to you. We need to get those promises out of the brook where they've been polished, get them into our slings and start to use our faith against our Goliaths. The enemy tries to taunt, but David wouldn't listen to that. David applied the promises of God. I want to give time to response today, but just want to bring this in for a landing. As I was studying this, one thing really struck me David completed the task. See, it's it's actually quite difficult in Scripture to work out when did the giant actually die. Some of the commentators aren't even sure. Was it when the stone hit him and he fell to the ground, or did that just render him unconscious? Did that just knock the giant over? Maybe even with surprise. David wasn't taking any chances. David went and completed the task. And I just felt God speak to me. There are issues in our lives where we get a little bit of victory. We've got a little bit of healing there. We've got a little bit of a story of a testimony there. I've got a little bit of a a financial story there. I've got a little bit of victory over that issue on the internet. I've got a little bit of issue. I've got a little bit of victory over this conflict. But actually God wants to bring full victory. God wants to bring us through as individuals and as the people of God into places of victory. To not just see our Goliath stumble and then come back to life again, but to see our Goliaths come down to see our Goliaths beheaded, to see that thing that intimidated us dead and stone dead, and there is no doubt once the head is off, he's dead. That's interesting. What did I keep mentioning? 
Yeah, this is fascinating. There are three places in the Bible where Joshua, who was the guy who led after Moses, the national leader, but there are three places where Joshua didn't get victory and it's recorded. Let me tell you what those three places are. There's Gaza, and we still know there's some issues there. Samson perished in Gaza. There's a place called Ashdod, and that's the people who take the Ark of the Covenant. And there's a little town called Gath that Joshua never won in. Listen, where we give ground to the enemy, where we don't bring it right the way through, these things come back to bite us. God told Saul to kill all the Amalekites. He didn't do that. He saved what he thought was the best of them for the Lord. And look, God's not oh, didn't he to kill them all. Do you know who killed Saul in the end? An Amalekite. And I just feel there's a warning in this for us that we don't give ground to the enemy in relationships, in finances, in our marriages, in wrong relationships. We don't give ground to the enemy. Actually, we press right in like David did and take the head off the jolly giant. (laughs) Take the head off him. God's speaking to us about that this morning. Then what happened is because of one man's victory, because of one man's faith, because of one man who trusted in the scriptures, because of one man who was secure in his identity, because of one man who knew God had called him, suddenly Goliath is dead and it said the whole of the Israeli army presses in and plunders even Gath. Listen, does that not remind us of someone else? Does that not remind us of one who knew his identity? One who knew he was loved of God? One who knew he was called of God? Does it not remind you of another one who came and actually came to destroy the work of the enemy? Does it not remind us of the Lord Jesus who it was said of him, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the evil one's work? Does it not remind us of us who've not lifted a finger, who've not done anything, who've just been in who've just been in fear, doesn't it remind us of us who can now press in and take the plunder? We can press in and get the victory. We can press in and actually have all that's been given to us because Jesus has done it, because he conquered the evil one. Yes, the snake might try and crush his heel and bite his heel and did try and bite his heel, but Jesus crushed his head. Hallelujah. I... I love that film, actually, that, uh, it's called The Passion of the Christ. It's a kind of scary film, kind of horrific film, kind of gruesome film. Mel Gibson's portrayal of Jesus uh, came out about 15 years ago. But there's an interesting scene in it which is not biblical, but is so biblical. And it's the scene when Jesus is in the garden. I think you remember it. It's kind of scary. hope it doesn't give you nightmares, but... Uh, Jesus is in the garden, praying in Gethsemane, praying, praying. Great sweat, drops of blood coming down. He's praying, oh Lord, if this is your will. He's, he's battling, is this it? The cross to give my life. And uh, 
He's asking, Father, not my will. Not I, I surrender my will. Your will be... It's beautiful. He's just giving himself to the Father, giving himself. And suddenly, if you remember the film, it's very dark, because it's nighttime, but it's kind of dark and creepy music. And you get the creepy music that happens. And suddenly, you're kind of aware of something slithering under Jesus's cape, under his dress. Kind of aware that something's slithering, and you kind of, it feels a bit creepy in the movie. And suddenly you're aware, and Jesus doesn't appear aware of it. And you want to shout out, Jesus, watch out, there's a snake behind you. And there's this slithering snake that comes up and is just about to strike Jesus' leg. And in the movie, it's so powerful because Jesus just stands up and says, not my will, but yours be done. And he goes, bang, like that, and crushes the serpent's head. It's glorious. It's not in the Bible, but it is in the Bible. Jesus on the cross, stamped on his head. Jesus triumphed totally over the Goliath, over the serpent, over the scaly one, over the one who brought condemnation and intimidation and fear and bondage and threatened us. Jesus totally, totally overcame him at the cross. It says in Colossians 2 verse 15, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Dear friends, this is no wishful thinking for us, wishing we were in the story. Friends, we're in the story. We're in Christ. We're in the Davidic one. You see, David was no ordinary one. He was in a wonderful line. And one day, in David's city, one day, in David's town, in Bethlehem, would be born this saviour. And he came to utterly, totally, fully destroy all the works of the enemy. And I believe today, many of us are just going to get set free from our intimidation and our fears. There are fears, there are intimidations, there are lies. This is a serpent who lies. And this morning is a morning just to do business with God. Just to say, I... I'm not going to listen to that lie. I'm not going to give that lie the prominence that it tries to have in my life. That issue of finance, that issue of health and healing, that issue of evangelism and those people that I've been trying to reach. I'm not going to give that lie room. I'm going to lift my gaze above my Goliath and I'm going to see God in his glory and strength and might and magnificence And I'm going to take the promises that he's spoken to me about and I'm going to hurl those promises at the enemy. And we're going to see this enemy dethroned, defeated and have his head cut off. Because this is our victory, friends. We're in Christ. We're in the one who has won the victory. All that Jesus has won, he's won it for us. That we might stand in victory. Does that mean we'll, have, we'll never have any more battles? Of course it doesn't. David had many more battles, but was never intimidated by Goliath again. The early church had battle after battle after battle, but once they saw Jesus, who had risen from the dead, this little defeated group 
became ever stronger, ever convinced, ever invincible in God. And even though they were crucified, even though they were persecuted, even though they were put to get death, it said they turned the world upside down. Why? Because they knew God was with them. God's with us, dear friends. Now, without any mood music, without any lights being dimmed, if that's you, if you feel, do you know what? I just feel intimidated by a Goliath. I wonder whether you would stand and we're just going to pray over you for God to set you free. So there's going to be lots of us standing.